Hello everyone and welcome back to Disruptive Voices. My name is Katriona Gold and today I'm speaking with Professor David Osrin, who is a Wellcome Trust Senior Research Fellow in Clinical Science and Professor of Global Health here at UCL. Thank you for joining me today, David. Thanks very much for inviting me. Great. So, as you know, we're speaking today as part of UCL's Grand Challenge of Global Health, which is supporting an initiative to connect and advocate for critical global health scholarship at UCL. And of course, when you start talking about critical global health, one of the first questions which tends to arise is, well, what is that? So, David, that's my first question to you. An easy one. What does critical global health mean to you and how does your work relate to it? Um, Thanks for that really easy question. (laughs) I don't find it easy at all. In the sense that, until recently, I wasn't familiar with the term critical global health. And I suppose it is a way of looking at global health critically. And I guess, for me, that has two implications. The first thing is kind of structural. So, issues around structural aspects of health globally, but also structural questions about research, since this is a little bit what we're talking about, like the structural nature of the funding and reporting that surrounds that research or in which that research takes place. And then I guess the second dimension is to approach our own work critically in the context of this larger argument. So I guess one of the really obvious issues, and you see it in the literature, is the evolution of different terms from the old and fairly unpleasant term tropical medicine through international health to global health. And there's you know, quite a lot's been written about what is global health. And I find that a little confusing because it sometimes mixes up global health with global health research. And indeed, like one of the more recent definitions that's been proposed to researchers in New Zealand is around collaborative transnational research and action to promote health for all. So there's a bit of lack of clarity for me around, you know, are we talking about the research we do? Are we talking about the way that research is framed, or are we talking about the actual health of the people all over the world who are involved in it, irrespective of that research? So that's one confusion. I mean, I think that the fairly clear thing in my mind is that global health or critical global health is looking at health worldwide and implicit in it and explicit in some definitions is equity and equality. Explicit in it is issues that cross national boundaries and that go beyond in governments from the local to the state to the region to the world. And then issues around structural determinants. So areas of people in, uh, I'm going to use the word vulnerable advisedly, but people in various socioeconomic and sociocultural groups that are at the sharp end of health inequalities and sort of determinants of ill health. 
Right. And so there's potentially a lot we could get into. And I'm, I'm wondering how you approach this in your work. So how do you sort of consider these aspects in the work you're doing? Do they sort of inform how you structure your research? Or, you know, if you could talk a bit about that, that would be great. Yeah, so I want to say something, I suppose, personal, but maybe a bit provocative here is that the vast majority of the people that I work with don't really talk about global health. So when I'm working with my colleagues in India, I don't even recall anyone ever using that terminology because what they're talking about is important issues and the groups that I work with are really interested in inequalities and structural inequalities and structural violence. And yet, I don't hear that articulated in terms of global health. And I wonder how much this is a product of a north-centred focus on these issues. And we've actually seen quite a lot of pushback in the journals in recent last couple of years about inequities in the structure of global health and global health research. And I think that that's coming from people in perhaps non-Northern countries who themselves feel like they're at the sharp end of an international discourse that isn't truly international. Let me be specific. The people that I collaborate with at Sneha in India, talk about urban health, they talk about inequalities, they talk about women's and children's health, and they do talk about the global ramifications of that. But generally speaking, they don't articulate it in terms of global health. Right, that's really interesting. So there's a question of whether this term translates across context when we're collaborating with people in different countries. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And some of it is to do with the way you present yourself and the way that you present yourself is somewhat in the service of potential funding so that, you know, people may be applying for money within some scheme that's got global health in it. And that's where they will locate themselves. But generally, they'll be interested in a specific issue such as menstrual hygiene, for example, or urban inequalities, or even an infectious disease like tuberculosis. And they'll see all of those things in a global context, but I don't know how much of a need people feel to express that in terms of global health. Where it gets expressed, I guess, is in my other job as a teacher, where, you know, we are teaching on and developing the content and structure of courses on global health and development. And so then it becomes relevant. But I think it's good to be critical about this. And and I guess maybe I am being. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. How do you kind of try to, I mean, if you're trying to structure teaching on what we're calling global health, or you could, you know, be more specific and talk about, you know, what, I mean, what kind of teaching are you doing at UCL? And how do you sort of try to approach that? critically or, you know, well, with these kind of structural or sort of global inequalities, that kind of thing in mind, how do you approach that? Well, I suppose the easiest way to think about this is in specific examples. So at UCL, I'm involved in teaching urban health. And so it's a prime example of a global phenomenon. But when we started maybe about 10 years ago, one of the things that we thought we should do that we didn't see in other courses was make it global in the sense that some courses 
talked about urban health and they were thinking about places like London. But other courses specifically talk about global health in countries like Bangladesh and issues such as slums and informal settlements, which became, in a way, it's a cottage industry. And when we started this, we made the provocation that actually we didn't agree with this way of seeing urban health. We thought that the experiences and problems of peoples in cities and the people that try to run cities and contribute to them are global. So that a city in North America faces certain urban health issues, and those are the same issues as a city in South Africa or Malawi or Sri Lanka. And so we said, we're going to try to look at these things across the world, comparing places with other places quite specifically, to look at commonalities and differences. And what happened was, I guess, that idea was amply supported by reality. And I think that, you know, what I've just said, people might be listening and going, yeah, right. You know, what's so great about that? But that wasn't the case 10 years ago. But as we've seen in the recent COVID-19 pandemic, you know, it's an obvious example of a lack of differentiating between swathes or groupings of different countries in the face of the pandemic. And a lot of it was about the urban experience, and that urban experience showed had commonalities in all cities. So that was easy. The other thing that's easy in terms of global health is that urban health is obviously structural. And I mean that slightly jokingly in two ways. I mean, it's physically structural because it's about the built environment and buildings and roads and water supply, etc. But it's also structural in that it's about governance. So it's about who runs your city, how formal or informal are certain aspects of the way things are provided within that city. And so these issues about health or the notion of global health are implicit in the idea of urban health, which is why I'm saying it's really easy. So when we teach urban health, we rarely talk about specific diseases. We tend to talk about health as not an abstract concept, but we talk about social determinants of health. And we talk about the way that your environment, well, your interaction with your environment connects with health rather than, you know, tuberculosis is like this. Although tuberculosis is a good example of an infectious condition that we see all over the world. And again, illustrates what I said before, I suppose, which is that, you know, it's not that there isn't any tuberculosis in New York City. There's loads, uh, um, just as there's loads in Lagos. Right. Yeah. And especially, I mean, connecting and drawing those, maybe not parallels, but considering together those both northern and southern contexts makes sort of more and more sense in a context of increasing inequality. And yeah, as we've seen the pandemic as well. I mean, I was in Manchester for much of the first part of the pandemic and that had its own sort of struggles with COVID, right, which related to that urban infrastructure and, and yeah, those structural questions. I think that's really interesting that you do include northern cities and you don't sort of bracket them off in a way. And I think there's a kind of a broader question there about this framing of globality, right? Where it's like, does globality mean somewhere else? Should it mean somewhere else? I think that's really fascinating stuff. What are you teaching at the moment? 
are you still teaching the urban? Yeah, that, that's right. And we are just starting an online master's in public health at UCL oh. that I'm contributing to. And that's starting this upcoming semester. I think something that you mentioned is interesting, which is you might have noticed me being a bit mealy-mouthed and saying things like the North and the South. And, you know, there's, again, in the context of critical global health, there's a load of discussion about that. It's not developing and developed. Everyone started saying low- and middle-income countries. And recently, there's been some pushback against that. And and one of the recommendations uh, has been that as far as possible, we should just say a place. So we shouldn't say lower middle income countries, we should say Bangladesh, or we should say Greece. And I guess I'd entirely agree with that. Because if you think about, as you were saying, COVID and Manchester, I mean, where you are in a region of the world doesn't dictate what your city's like. And there are loads of different political structures and structures of urban governance that would decree that a city in another country might be very similar to Manchester and that, in fact, cities in two adjacent countries might be completely different. So I think that push to be specific about things is something that I welcome. I pity everybody because like, what word are we going to use? And I, that's why I kind of fallen back on this recommendation that, well, if possible, don't use anything and just say a place. Another one that people talk a lot about is sub-Saharan Africa. It's like a giant tranche of a continent. And South Africa is not the same as Mali, etc., etc. And so, again, I mean, I get away with this because, you know, I work mainly in India and India as subcontinent, which is home to a huge amount of diversity in itself. But I mean, it's probably okay to say India. And I I think that's right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really interesting point you made about that specificity. And of course, maybe some things are lost when we take it down to a you know too specific level, and there's a place for the abstraction too, right? But these are the questions we have to grapple with. I really appreciate that insight. I think that's something that hasn't come up so far in our discussions, actually. There's a lot more we could say about it, but I think for now, that's a great place for us to end. This is a short podcast. So thank you so much for sharing your insight with us. Thank you. This podcast was hosted by Catriona Gold and produced by the UCL Grand Challenges team with the help of Professor Sarah Gibbon, Professor Megan Vaughan, and Nina Quach. Today's guest was Professor David Osrin, and the music is by David Sesde. If you'd like to hear more perspectives on this concept of critical global health, please check out the other short podcasts in the series. For a longer listen, you can head to the UCL Grand Challenges YouTube page to find our recent interdisciplinary roundtable discussion on this topic with scholars from across UCL. For more episodes of Disruptive Voices, visit UCL Minds or follow us on Twitter at, at Grand Challenges.